Well, I want you to raise your hand if in the last week you had what you would describe as a hard day. Come on now, safe place. You have a hard day last week? Oh, wow. Okay, how about uh, in the last month? Raise your hand if you've had a hard day. Okay, look around, Christians. Guys, we all have hard days. Days, you know them. You, you wake up late. Maybe your boss is upset. You realize you have an assignment that's going to take a lot more time than originally thought. Uh, your kids skip their nap. Uh, yeah, moms. Uh, car breaks. Something in the house breaks. You get an unexpected bill, an unkind text, and unwelcomed news. We all have hard days. And our fleshy reflex to those things are, unless you're more sanctified than me, uh, really? Right? Are you serious? You've got to be kidding me. But underneath those reflexes is a deeper question. And the question is, God, where are you? See, for the Christian, the hardest things about hard days is that it feels like God has forgotten about me. He promises peace. He promises strength. He promises joy. He promises comfort. And so when you're having a bad day or a bad week or even a bad month, our souls cry out, what the heck? God, where are you? What are you doing? Well, if you want to know where God is on hard days, open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, we believe God still speaks today through his word, and so we open his word every Sunday and go line by line through it. To set the stage, if you were with us last weekend, we saw Jesus send out his disciples for the very first time in Mark chapter 6, verse 7. They'd been with Jesus for several months, and then he sends them on a, on a missions trip to heal people and to call them to repentance. And so at this point, they've been gone for several weeks, <clears throat> maybe even several months. And now look at verse 30. The boys are back. It says this, The apostles returned to Jesus, and they told them all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. If you've ever returned from a, a missions trip or a long trip of any kind, you know what the apostles are feeling here. They're exhausted. They've been going from village to village in the desert, no cars, no planes, on foot. And so naturally, their feet are tired. And when I get back from a, a long trip, I want the triune glory of couch, TV, some pizza, right? None of that is here. See it in the text. Verse 31, for many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. So apparently Jesus is so swarmed with people that the drained disciples can't even eat. And so this is so sweet. Jesus sees that, and he notices their tiredness and says, hey, let's get away. Let's go find some rest. Let's go out into the desolate place to find rest. Look at verse 32. <clears throat> it says, And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. That's the second time already desolate place has showed up in our text. It's actually more commonly translated wilderness. Note that, wilderness. 
And so they all crawl into the boat, and it's a four-mile sail, about an hour trip to where Jesus is taking them. And I don't know if you've sailed much. I actually worked on a summer, or I worked an entire summer on a sailboat beach, and um, it's hard work. There's, there's not like a big motor on the back. It is hard work. And so these guys just feel this. They haven't eaten. They now need to sail an hour west. Certainly they are exerting what little energy they have left just to find some rest. Verse 33, finally pull up. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran on foot before them, all the towns, and got there ahead of them. So as the boat is pulling in, you know what the disciples are saying. Seriously? Right? Are you kidding me, as we would say today? Is this real life? What do you feel on really hard days? The disciples feel first, I'm so exhausted. I'm so exhausted. Do you ever feel that? Mamas, I'm thinking of you because you have the corner on exhaustion for all of us. If you have little ones, you start the day with high hopes. You maybe even get some time in the Word before the kids wake up. And before lunch happens, the the sentences leaving your lips are, take your mouth off the toilet seat, right? Stop eating out of your brother's belly button. That's a real sentence from my house. Those high hopes become buried underneath dirty laundry and frustration and disappointment and exhaustion. And it's not just mamas. It's all of us. We all have high hopes that sour into hard days. And so for the Christian, the question becomes, Jesus, what the heck? Where are you? Why is this happening? What are you doing? That's what the disciples are feeling here. Jesus said back in verse 31, come away to yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. You said we're going to go rest. What the heck? And for us on hard days, it's Jesus, you you promised to draw near to me, so why do you feel so far away? Jesus, you promised joy, so why am I always so discouraged and down? Jesus, you, you promised to answer my prayers, so why don't you ever answer them? You promise rest, so why am I so exhausted? If we're honest, Jesus feels profoundly real and powerful on Sunday mornings, but for most of Monday through Saturday, it feels like he's either failed us or simply forgotten about us altogether. And here's what's crucial to see here. The disciples aren't in this place because they've been unfaithful to Jesus. It's precisely their faithfulness to him that got them to this place of sheer exhaustion and frustration and disappointment. He said, I'm sending you out. They went out. They were faithful. And he says, okay, get back in the boat. We're going to rest. They got in the boat. They were faithful. Where did following Jesus get the 12? Not hashtag blessed. It got them. Are you kidding me? Really? Is this real life? If you often feel overwhelmed and exhausted and find yourself saying, really? Look at verse 34. And When he, that's Jesus, went ashore and saw a great crowd, he had compassion on them because they were, note this, sheep without a shepherd. 
That phrase, sheep without a shepherd, is a holy hint to us of something infinitely significant. Sheep without a shepherd is quoted often throughout the Old Testament, and it's always hearkening back to a prayer Moses prayed in Numbers 27. Moses is about to die, and he says to God, Who shall go before them and come in before them? Who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd? So so last week, back in Mark 6, verse 8, Jesus told the disciples that uh, they should take nothing on their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money, just sandals and one tunic. And we learn that this is verbatim what God told his people before they left Egypt and headed into the wilderness. It was Jesus saying, hey guys, there's a new exodus happening. There is a new leader of God's people. It's not Moses, it's me. And that's why Mark is adamant that we know the context of this passage is the desolate place, the wilderness. If you look ahead to verse 40 for a moment, look down to verse 40, it says, uh, Jesus sat them down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. Why would Jesus do that? Because when Moses divided up the camp of Israel back in Exodus 18, he organized them in groups of hundreds and by fifties. So vertical church, what does God want to show exhausted you and me on hard days? What, what does he want to show the disciples out in the wilderness? That Jesus is the greater Moses who brings rest in the wilderness. So biblically, the wilderness is a place of God's judgment. Moses led God's people into the wilderness for 40 years of judgment because they did not trust God. And now Jesus leads them into the wilderness and says, I'm not bringing you judgment. Come out here, there's rest. I'm, I'm who Moses was always pointing to. I'm who he was foreshadowing. I will lead you into the wilderness, but not to judge you, but to love you. And this had been prophesied for thousands of years. Isaiah 63, 14 says, Like livestock that go down into the valley, the Spirit of the Lord gave them rest. Jeremiah 31.2 says, Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness when Israel sought for rest. That's what's happening in Mark chapter 6. Exhausted disciples and shepherdless wanderers are finding grace out in the wilderness. And His name is Jesus you think Jesus knew that the, the crowd was going to be there when they showed up? Of course he did. So when he invited them to come and rest, guys, they thought they needed a getaway. He knew they needed grace. The kind of grace, listen, that can only be received in the wilderness. And we're not talking only about the disciples here. Judging by Jesus' response upon seeing the crowd, it's clear that he was expecting them and that he's inviting everyone into this wilderness rest. So the question is, how? How, how does he give us grace in the wilderness? See it at the end of verse 34. End of verse 34, it says, And he began to teach them many things. The way Jesus gives exhausted wanderers and disciples rest in the wilderness, rest on the hard days is through teaching them. 
So by way of application, loved one, let Jesus teach you through your tiredness. There are some lessons we can't learn on our good days. You know what I'm talking about? There are some uh, certain things about God, certain things about us that we only have ears to hear once we're at the end of our ropes, the end of our strength, the end of ourselves. So for example, when you're tired, frustrated, disappointed, annoyed, irritable, ask this question, what do I want right now? Like, what do I really want right now? I can tell you, oftentimes what you want is relief, not rest. See, relief is all about getting strong again. Rest is all about staying weak, dependent on the Lord. Most of the time, God is not interested in giving you relief because he doesn't want to feed into your illusion of self-strength. He's not interested in giving us relief, but he's very eager to give us rest. And the grace of rest flows not through strength, loved one, but through weakness. Not through easy days, but through hard ones. The Apostle Paul said it best. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Notice, he's asking for relief. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities and bad days. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This week, if Jesus invites you into the wilderness, if he leads you to a hard day, if he lovingly lets you get exhausted, let him teach through tiredness. Ask, what do I want right now? What is God trying to teach me in this moment? What is God trying to kill in me? And what is God trying to cultivate into life? And if you will let him teach through tiredness, you won't find relief, but you will find rest. So Jesus is teaching. And like all preachers, he goes longer than expected. See it in verse 35. It says, when it grew late... His disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place. <laughs> this is a wilderness, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Now, that's a perfectly reasonable suggestion. In fact, if you look down to verse 44, it says that there are 5,000 men here. And so when you count women and children, we're talking about fifteen to 20,000 people. And if we had a conference of 20,000 people, it would be a fortune to feed them. It would make a lot more sense to say, hey, there are restaurants around. Let's all just break for lunch. They go out, eat, and come back. Verse 37. But Jesus answered them, you give them something to eat. Remember the context now. They didn't get to eat when they got back. They now have, they had to sail an hour across 
the sea. Jesus teaches for several hours, everyone's starving. And so a disciple, we know it's Philip from the Gospel of John, comes to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, a great message. The thing you said about the thing was just, wow, but we're starving. Can we like maybe break for dinner? And Jesus says, after that whole day, you give them something to eat. And we can tell he's hangry by verse 37. Look at verse 37. It says, And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? 200 denarii is eight months' wage. So Philip's like, Oh, yeah, good idea. It'll just cost like $40,000. And Jesus, so patient, doesn't even acknowledge the sarcasm. Verse 38. And he said to them, Well, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found it, they said, five and two fish. What are the disciples feeling now? Underneath the hanger, Jesus is leading them to a place to feel totally under-resourced. Like, this is laughable. We, we know from John's account, it was Andrew who found a little kid, and this is his lunch. It's five loaves of bread and two fish. So Jesus is like, okay, we got 20,000 people here. They need to eat. Disciples, I want you to go and get them food. And so they break, and they come back maybe an hour later, and Jesus says, what did you find? And they're like, a Lunchable. Like, we found one lunch. I'm sure they're laughing as they present this to Jesus. I'm sure they're snickering. But in our real life situations, on our hard days, our lack of resources seem anything but funny, right? Hard days become hard when you find yourself in an agonizing intersection between I know what God has called me to do and I feel so inadequate or under-resourced to do it. God calls me to be this kind of spouse, but I'm this. God calls me to spend my day like this, but it always looks more like this. God calls me to be a patient parent, but I'm out of patience. God calls me to lead people to Jesus, but I don't know how. Guys, as your pastor, I'm supposed to bring you a powerful, spirit-filled message from God to you every Sunday, and there's no way I can do that. On hard days, we feel that more than ever. And again, I just want you to see This is the place Jesus led his disciples. None of them are living their best life now. Instead, all of them are following Jesus. They're being faithful to Jesus. And now they feel so exhausted and laughably under-resourced. But here's the question. Jesus, where are you? What are you doing here? Well, see it in the text, verse 39. Then Jesus commanded them all to sit down in groups on the, what does that say? Nice and loud, come on God's people. Grass in the desert? What kind of grass? Where else in the Bible talks about green grass? Psalm 23, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Keep reading verse 40. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven. He said a blessing. He broke the loaves. He gave them to the disciples to set before the people. Psalm 23, 5. You prepare a table 
for me. End of verse 41, and he divided the two fish among them and they all ate and were satisfied. Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Verse 43, and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and fish. So you started with five loaves and two fish, that's maybe one basket. And now you've got 12 baskets, one for every disciple. Psalm 23, verse 5, my cup overflows. You see, what's the context of Mark 6? Beside still water. You see, guys, on hard days, Jesus will bring you to a place of feeling totally, comically under-resourced to show you that he is the good shepherd who provides everything you need for anything you'll face. Mark 6 is not about a picnic. It's not about bread and fish, you guys. It's about Jesus. Jesus is revealing himself as the shepherd of Psalm 23, the song that had been most near and dear to God's people throughout all the centuries. Jesus is saying, listen, you've been singing about me. Listen to Ezekiel 34. This idea of a shepherd is all throughout the Old Testament. Ezekiel 34, God says, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he's among the sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they've been scattered on a day of cloud and thick darkness. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. For thousands of years, God's people were told about and expecting and praying for this shepherd. And Mark 6 is the day when Jesus revealed, it's me, y'all. It's me. I'm the one you've been waiting for. I'm the fulfillment of Psalm 23. I'm the fulfillment of Ezekiel 34. I will provide everything my people need for anything they face, even in the wilderness. And here's what I want you to see with this. When did the miraculous miracle, the the multiplying miracle occur? When did the shepherd show his satisfying sufficiency? Only once the disciples gave them what they had. Comically, five loaves and two little fish. By way of application, guys, give Jesus whatever you have. In the text, the provision, the blessing doesn't come ex nihilo. It doesn't come out of nothing. No, he takes what they have, even if it's laughably little, and miraculously multiplies it. On hard days, give Jesus whatever you have. If you've just got 10 minutes to pray, Jesus can use 10 minutes. If you've just got one Bible verse memorized, Jesus can do something with one verse. If you've only got 10 minutes of battling temptation left in the tank, you give those 10 minutes to Jesus, and he will miraculously multiply. And you might say, well, what if I don't have anything? Elizabeth Elliot said, if the only thing you have to offer is a broken heart, you offer a broken heart. So in a time of grief, the recognition that 
even this material for sacrifice has been a very great strength to me. Realizing that nothing I have, nothing I am will be refused on the part of Christ. I simply give it to him as the little boy gave Jesus' five loaves and two fishes with the same feeling of the disciples when they had, which is, what is the good of this for such a crowd? Naturally, in almost everything I have offered to Christ, my reaction has been, what is the good of that? The point is, the use he makes of it is his blessing. On good days or on hard days, give him whatever you have. Just rock what you got. And Jesus will miraculously multiply it. God does his own math. Mark 6 is about Jesus bringing you into the wilderness, bringing his disciples into the wilderness to reveal that he's the greater Moses who brings rest in the wilderness. And that he's the good shepherd who provides for his people everything they need for anything to face. Now, to me, that feels like a full day. I feel like we could totally go home on that note, but Jesus isn't done yet. Look at verse 45. Immediately, oh man, he made his disciples get into the boat. Just, just note the language of that. It suggests they aren't super excited. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out to sea. He was alone on the land. And when he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. Think of the disciples. Now they're back in the boat, <laughs> same day. He's not with us anymore. He's gone out to pray. That's verse 46. It's now the middle of the night. That's verse 47. And sweet, gale force winds blowing the wrong way, verse 48. On hard days, it just feels like everything is against me. Everything's against us. You know those days. It feels like there is a cosmic conspiracy to work against you. It feels like, I just can't catch a break. When everything feels against us, it's easy to think what they're thinking. Thanks, Jesus. You put me back in this boat, verse 45. Where are you, God? Clearly you're not here, verse 46. I can't see anything right now, verse 47. And now this, verse 48. Look at verse 48. And he saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, that's probably 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and they cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. This has always been super weird to me. Is Jesus just taking like a, a midnight stroll and doing that Minnesota thing? The, hey, dudes, don't mind me. Just going to sneak past you here. Like, why does it say he meant to pass by? Well, that's another holy hint. Listen to Job 9. Job 9 talks about God, and it says this. He who removes mountains 
and they know it not, when he overturns them in his anger, who shakes the earth out of its place and its pillars tremble, who commands the sun and it does not rise, who seals up the stars, who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea, who made Bear and Orion and Pleiades and the chambers of the south, who does great things beyond searching out and marvelous things beyond number, behold... He passes by me, and I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. You guys see, Job says in verse 8 that God tramples the waves of the sea. And then verse 11, it says, He passes by me, and I see him not. And now in Mark 6, Jesus is walking on the sea, and he meant to pass by them, and they saw him not. They did not perceive him, and that's why they were terrified. Now look at verse 50. For they all saw him and were terrified, but immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart. What are those words there? It is I. Three little English words, two little Greek ones. Ego eimi. I am. You see, when God revealed his very personal name, back in Exodus 3.14, God said to Moses, Moses said, what's your name? And God said, I am who I am. Say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God tells Moses, Yahweh tells Moses, my personal name is I am. And so Jesus walks on the sea, means to pass by them, and then says, take heart, I am. Don't be afraid. Now look at verse 51. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. Guys, we're supposed to see here, Jesus is the God of Job. Jesus is the one who was always speaking to Moses. Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is God, and God is in your boat. That's what we're supposed to see. And how do they respond to that realization? Look again at verse 51. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. That word means confused or even scared. Why are they scared? He literally said, do not be afraid. Why are they scared? Now see it in verse 52. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. You see, when the disciples realized that Jesus, this dude from Nazareth, is God in skin, Yahweh with flesh, they know who Yahweh is. He's terrifyingly powerful. Like Job 9, he moves mountains. He shakes the earth. He tramples the sea. God is holy and God hates sin. And so if the all-powerful, holy God who hates sin is in my boat, I'm in big trouble because I'm a sinner. And they thought that because they didn't understand about the loaves. So what about the loaves did they miss? 
Look back at verse 34. Verse 34 is the key sentence in these two accounts. It says this, when he, guys, now we know who that is, God, when God went ashore and saw a great crowd, he had compassion on them. You see, they saw his greatness. They forgot his goodness. If you're a sinner, if you're a wanderer, if you're having a great day or a really hard day, you need to know this. Yahweh has compassion on you and toward you. And he says that, and then he immediately says, so don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It, the word Mark uses for compassion here literally means uh, to, feel, to feel in one's bowels or gut. This isn't a cool, detached tolerance. This is, this is he loves you so much it makes him sick. The message of Mark 6 is that Jesus, the greater Moses, Jesus, the good shepherd, Jesus, God himself, is in our boat. And amazingly, he doesn't feel holy hatred towards us. He feels stomach-churning affection and grace for us. This is what he's up to on the hard days. Jesus lovingly bringing you into the wilderness to show you, I am a leader, I am your leader, and I'm bringing you out here not to judge you, but to give you rest. Not relief, rest. I'm your shepherd, and I need you to get to the end of your resources so that you can see I will provide all you need for all you face. And I am God himself, who's in your boat and who feels compassion. Like, you're making me sick with how much I love you. This is the message. So the call for us today is hope on the hard days. On the hard days, you have hope. You have Jesus. Trust Him when He brings you into the wilderness and see Him for who He is. A very present help in times of trouble. Vertical church, come to Him. You say, who can come? Jesus Himself said, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. You having a bad day? You having a hard week? Laboring, heavy laden? Come to me all. Say, well, how do we come? By simply opening our hands of faith and receiving Jesus. John 1.12 says, But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We receive this Jesus by simply choosing to believe that he is who he says he is. And he has done what he claimed to do. He is God, and in love He paid for all our sins on the cross with His own blood.